Haunted UK podcast is recorded and mixed in stereo. Listening through an environment such as stereo speakers or headphones will ensure you get the best experience. Let me quickly tell you about our official podcast sponsor, CDS Print and Design. CDS is a family-run company who offer great prices and great products, such as printed t-shirts, hoodies, canvases, coasters, placemats, stickers, banners, signage, and much, much more. For more information or for a free no-obligation quote, email Colin or Debbie at cdsprintanddesign at gmail.com. You can also find CDS Print and Design on Facebook and Instagram. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that the Haunted UK podcast is now on coffee. If you love the show and want more content, such as bite-sized bonus episodes, horror and paranormal movie reviews, chances to get your hands on exclusive Haunted UK podcast merchandise courtesy of CDS Print and Design, as well as a free Haunted UK podcast sticker and much more, then get yourself over to Coffee and sign up to donate just £3 per month. That's K-O hyphen F-I and search for the Haunted UK podcast. Coffee. Why not buy us one? This is Season 2 of the Haunted UK Podcast. In this season, we're going to cast our net far and wide to tell stories of UFOs, unsolved mysteries, strange creatures, unexplained disappearances, as well as further tales of ghosts, poltergeists and haunted locations. But before we dive in, why not make a note to listen to the following great podcast? Greetings, friends. Do you have a taste for the unknown? Are your days plagued with thoughts of the strange and morbid? Has your bloodlust for knowledge of the most sadistic killers that has ever walked the earth ever been satisfied? If not, then I'm here to help. Welcome to the Nightcap, where nothing is taboo and the topics are always fresh. Join me by the fire on the first of every month for tales of terror and stories of the sadistic. Learn why your neighbor might be hiding a horrible secret, or if that conspiracy theory you thought was false turned out to be real. Whatever your dark desire, I have what you need. You can find me on Spotify, Radio Public, and Anchor, with more ways to listen coming soon. Without further ado, be safe, stay curious, and now, back to your program. All people who enter this tomb, who will make evil against this tomb and destroy it, may the crocodile be against them in water and snakes against them on land. May the hippopotamus be against them in water and the scorpion on land. Egyptian archaeologist, Egyptologist and former Minister of State for Antiquities Affairs, Zahi Hawass, reading the curse protecting the tombs of the builders of the Pyramids of Giza.
this is episode 16 of the Haunted UK podcast. And in this episode, we'll be diving into the legends and mysteries of the curse of Tutankhamun. If you were shown a picture of Egyptian archaeologist Zahi Hawass, most people out there would instantly recognise him. He's the face of many documentaries dealing with ancient Egypt. He was an inspector for the Great Pyramid site in Giza, a man who, if you were to ask him, would surely denounce the possibilities of curses in the lands of the pharaohs. But this wasn't the case when he was a young man. His first encounter with the so-called curse was when he was a young archaeologist working at the ruins of Terranuthis, which was a Greco-Roman site. He was tasked with transporting several sacred artefacts from this dig to a new location. On that particular day, his cousin died. Then on the first anniversary of his cousin's death, his uncle died. Again, on the third anniversary of his cousin's death, his aunt died. Was all of this death related to the removal of those sacred artefacts? Or was it just coincidence? A few years later, Zahi was involved in the excavation of the tombs of the builders of the Great Pyramids of Giza. This was where he encountered the curse that was read out at the beginning of this episode. Having previous experience of the impact that could arise from the removal of such valuable and sacred objects from burial tombs, Zahi chose not to disturb the mummies. Although Zahi would freely admit to not being a believer in superstition, he had further strange experiences involving the alleged power of mummies and Egyptian artefacts. The first being the removal of two mummified children from a site at the Baharia Oasis. They were being transported to a museum, and after they'd reached their final resting place, Zahi began having haunting nightmares involving the children. This strange episode didn't stop until the mummified father of the children was reunited with them at the museum. The second experience was his alleged first-hand experience watching a sick boy become instantly cured when he looked into the eyes of the mummy of King Amos I. So, if a man of Zahi Hoas's reputation will admit to having strange experiences involving curses, mummies and tombs, then what about those that were involved in the most famous archaeological discovery of all time? The tomb of Tutankhamun. It's the 4th of November 1922, and a young boy carrying water was about to stumble on an innocent-looking stone that turned out to be the top step of an entire flight of stairs, which led to the tomb of the most famous pharaoh of them all. Archaeologist Howard Carter had been in Egypt since around 1891, but it was his partnership with George Herbert, the 5th Earl of Carnarvon, in 1907 that brought about the most success for both men. It would take another 15 years of searching in the Valley of the Kings before fame, fortune and death would follow these men into history. Carter had always been convinced that the tombs of great pharaohs were still lying undiscovered, especially that of Tutankhamun, but as the years went by with little success, the bills still had to be paid. Lord Carnarvon was growing increasingly tired by the lack of any sort of discoveries, 
and threatened to pull funding from further digs. But after a long discussion with Carter, he agreed to fund one more season. After the discovery of the staircase, Howard Carter sent for Lord Carnarvon via telegram and then waited for his arrival. The full extent of the staircase accidentally discovered by the young boy was dug out and cleared until a mud-plastered doorway was found. The cartouche above the doorway was indeed that of the pharaoh king Tutankhamun, the very king that Carter had been chasing for all these years. Needless to say, when the tomb was opened and the treasures inside discovered, the rest was history. But strange things began happening shortly after things that could have easily been attributed to an ancient curse. The curse of King Tutankhamun's tomb read as follows, quote, Death comes on swift wings to he who disturbs the pharaoh's rest. End quote. The first strange thing that occurred wasn't at the site of the tomb at all, but at Howard Carter's house, not far from the dig site. Carter was quite a loner and decided to try and brighten up his home with birdsong by buying a bright yellow canary. Carter's servant even commented that the birds signified that luck would soon follow and, as sure as the servant was, Tutankhamun was discovered a week later. But the bird wouldn't fare so well. The day that the tomb was opened, the canary was killed in its cage by a cobra. This held huge significance to Egyptian people, as the cobra was a symbol of royalty. Pharaohs wore the cobra symbol on their foreheads as a sign not only to their enemies, but also to those around them, signifying that they had power to strike and sting those who crossed them. King Tutankhamun's tomb was also opened in November, which was winter, and this was also a time when cobras were seldom seen. Carter simply brushed this off as bad luck, as he didn't have any belief in curses at all. After all, he'd seen so many tombs, mummies and artefacts. Nothing had happened to him. Lord Carnarvon was a totally different character, however. He was quite a believer in the spirit world and after the end of World War I, spiritualism was becoming huge business. At Carnarvon's home, Highclere Castle in Hampshire, a bedroom known as the East Anglian Bedroom was frequently used to hold seances. At one seance in particular, Lord Carnarvon was warned not to enter the pharaoh's tomb at any cost. A second warning would also come from author Marie Corelli. Corelli's books were widely known for including elements of such topics as astral projection and reincarnation. She wrote a piece to the Times newspaper, warning Lord Carnarvon and the whole expedition that, quote, a most dire punishment follows any rash intruder into a sealed tomb, end quote. These warnings would come back to haunt Carnarvon. Regardless of all the concerns that were being expressed, he went ahead with the trip to Egypt to join Howard Carter for the opening of the tomb. Lord Carnarvon wasn't a well man, having suffered a severe motor racing accident in Germany in 1906. He was advised from then on to travel to warmer climates during the harsh British winter months, and it was Egypt where he chose to convalesce. This was what sparked his initial interest in the land of the pharaohs. 
Upon arriving at the dig site and entering the tomb, Lord Carnarvon suffered a severe mosquito bite on his left cheek. Whilst this was considered a minor inconvenience at the time, it wasn't until a few days later that he irritated the bite even further by cutting himself shaving, causing the bite to become infected. It was claimed that the location of the bite on Carnarvon's cheek matched an indentation on the cheek of King Tutankhamun himself. Further evidence of a curse, maybe? Over the next few days, Lord Carnarvon's condition deteriorated. He was running an extremely high fever and sadly died of blood poisoning due to the infected mosquito bite. A number of strange coincidences were said to have happened around the time of his death. Two of the most noteworthy ones were when the lights in Cairo completely went out, with no explanation whatsoever. The second was the death of Carnarvon's Jack Russell Terrier back home at Highclere Castle. The dog allegedly let out a howl and then lay down and died. Lord Carnarvon's son, who was at his father's bedside when he died, was given a warning himself from a seance at Highclere. The warning strongly advised him never to enter the tomb of the boy king, affirming that a similar fate could befall him if he did so. He reportedly said that even if he were offered a million pounds, he still wouldn't go into the tomb. Before we continue, here's a message from another great podcast. Hello, Ghosty fam. Have you heard our podcast, The Activity Continues? I'm Amy, and I host the show with my friend and fellow fan of the paranormal, Megan. Hi, everyone. Our show is a recap of the TV show, The Dead Files, which airs on the Travel Channel. Every week, we each pick an episode of The Dead Files and recap it for you. He thinks that he's possibly possessed. That's a bold statement to throw the P word around. Right, I know. And sometimes we even dig a little into the history of the crimes that led to the paranormal activity. That case was interesting to me, and so I googled it, and I newspapers.com'd it, and I found out a whole bunch of other stuff. Okay. We also talk about our own paranormal experiences and would love to talk about yours as well. And the next night, my bed moves. No. I about shit. But I didn't sleep for a week, I'm telling you. bet. But I was convinced that this demon spirit that had attacked me in my dream was now at this bed. So if you want to share your stories, email us at theactivitycontinues at gmail.com. So grab a stogie, hop in the caddy, and join us for The Activity Continues. Nailed it. Now, back to the show. The curse was quickly beginning to gain traction, and its grip on the public and the media was growing day by day. Even the Times newspaper began writing pieces reporting that the Egyptian god of death, Osiris, was responsible for enforcing the curse. Richard Bethel was also soon to be affected by the curse. He was secretary of the whole expedition and worked very closely with Howard Carter. A great deal of artefacts from the tomb ended up at his house, and it was here that a number of unexplained events happened such as strange noises and dark atmospheres and energies manifesting themselves. These became so intense that even one of Bethel's servants tried to set fire to the house because he could no longer take the dark and oppressive nature of whatever had travelled to the house from Egypt. Richard Bethel himself was also then found dead in a club in Mayfair, London. He was just 46 years old. 
no satisfactory explanation regarding his death was ever found, and the deaths and strange occurrences around Richard Bethel didn't stop there. Bethel's father, Lord Westbury, was a broken man and was convinced that King Tutankhamun's curse was solely to blame, not only for his son's death, but also for all of the strange events that had happened at Bethel's home. Westbury was often heard by witnesses muttering that the curse had undone his family. Lord Westbury committed suicide by jumping to his death from his seventh floor St. James's apartment window. Even on the day of Lord Westbury's funeral, the horse-drawn funeral carriage ran over a small boy, killing him instantly. Even though the boy had no direct link to the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb, he was tragically drawn into the chain of events that brought him into the sights of the curse. Spreading out like tentacles of some dark creature, the curse was stretching in all sorts of directions. Howard Carter sent a paperweight to his close friend Bruce Ingham as a gift from the dig site. The paperweight contained a mummified hand with a bracelet around it with an inscription which read, quote, Cursed be he who moves my body, end quote. Whilst he wasn't involved in the dig, or wasn't even in Egypt, the gift seemed to bring the curse to his door. Soon after receiving the paperweight, his house burned to the ground and was then struck by a flood when Ingham tried to rebuild it. More deaths, bad luck and strange events continue to happen. Aubrey Herbert, who was Lord Carnarvon's half-brother, died of the same condition that ended Carnarvon's life. Aubrey had surgery after a lifelong eye condition, but this didn't go well, and he died of blood poisoning, five months after Lord Carnarvon had passed away in Egypt. Hugh Evelyn White was a British archaeologist who visited the tomb shortly after its discovery. By 1924, Evelyn White had seen the alleged curse wipe out many of the original dig team, and also people with only a mild connection to the whole event. Whether Evelyn White had suffered some sort of mental breakdown is unclear, but something pushed him over the edge. So much so, that before he committed suicide, he wrote the following statement in his own blood. Quote, I have succumbed to a curse which forces me to disappear. End quote. Aaron Ember was another individual who died in suspicious circumstances. Ember was close friends with a number of individuals who were present when the tomb was first opened. It was 1926, and almost four years since Tutankhamun's treasures had been discovered, but Ember's connection to the dig and to the curse was about to come full circle. Whilst hosting a dinner party at his house in Baltimore, a fire broke out and quickly spread. Ember's wife rescued their son while he tried to save a manuscript which he had been working on for a number of years. Aaron Ember perished in the fire. And the name of the manuscript that he tried to save? The Egyptian Book of the Dead. Many would quite simply put a curse down to paranoia, coincidence or just bad luck. Others would say that all of these incidents had perfectly natural and rational explanations for instance, what about the man who made the discovery, Howard Carter? He lived a perfectly normal life and died of lymphoma at the age of 64. The curse was never something he had the slightest bit of belief in. But did it affect him in other ways? Carter's future successes were very few and far between after Tutankhamun. 
He could never repeat the discovery, and because of his behaviour and attitude to authorities in Egypt, his skills were very rarely called upon. Many wanted Carter as far away from the Valley of the Kings as possible. Was this to be Howard Carter's fair share of the curse? Now, you would think that as the years went by, the curse would fade away into obscurity. After all, we now live in a much more modern and technologically advanced society. But you'd be wrong. Just as the film sets of movies such as Poltergeist and The Exorcist seem to be cursed, the same was said to be true for a number of documentaries and movies about King Tutankhamun and the discovery of his riches. Whilst filming the BBC series The Face of Tutankhamun, in 1992 Professor Christopher Frayling experienced a number of strange events. During one scene, Professor Frayling was standing over the sarcophagus and speaking about the curse when suddenly and inexplicably, all the lights went out in the tomb. Another alarming experience happened at a famous hotel in Cairo where Frayling had got into a lift on the 26th floor along with the producer. They selected the ground floor and as the lift began to move, they heard a cracking noise. The lift cable had broken, sending the lift hurtling to the ground. Professor Frayling recalled that they heard a braking system engaged to slow the descent. The lift stopped in the lower basement. Both men were quite aware that they had just escaped death. Even though Christopher Frayling was a skeptic as far as the curse was concerned, he was always at a loss when trying to offer explanations for what he had experienced. Another production that ran into problems whilst filming in and around the tomb was the movie The Curse of King Tutankhamun's Tomb. Filming took place between 1979 and 1980, and Ian McShane was to play the lead role of Howard Carter. Producer Peter Graham Scott was overseeing a scene where McShane was to drive a car along a dirt track when he accidentally pressed the accelerator instead of the brake. This sent the car speeding over a cliff edge and landing with such force that the impact not only destroyed the car, but also badly broke Ian McShane's leg, as well as him suffering other injuries. This caused production to be brought to a halt while the role of Howard Carter was recast. It seemed that there were no limitations to how and where the curse could strike next. In 1972, the treasures of King Tutankhamun's tomb, including his incredible 22-carat gold death mask and the boy king's coffin, were packed into wooden crates and loaded aboard a military cargo plane heading for RAF Bryce Norton. This priceless cargo was being loaned to the British Museum for an exclusive exhibition and was under the watchful guard of the RAF, as well as a solitary Egyptian soldier. Whilst talk of the curse had done the rounds as the cargo was loaded onto the plane, the pilots and guards didn't seem to take it too seriously at all. To pass the time on the plane, a number of guards decided to use the crate that had Tutankhamun's death mask inside as a table to play cards on. After one particular game, technical officer Ian Lansdowne got up and lightly kicked the crate, making the comment, quote, I've just kicked the most expensive thing in the world, end quote. A couple of years later, whilst up a ladder at the base, Officer Lansdowne fell, breaking his left ankle and foot, so badly that it was completely twisted around. 37 bones were broken in his ankle and foot, and he would never fully recover. It turned out 
that it was the same foot that he kicked to the crate with. Another officer who was part of the card game, Jim Webb, suffered a devastating house fire, losing everything but escaping with his life. Co-pilot of the cargo plane, Rick Laurie, a seemingly healthy and popular individual, died a year later. And then in a cruel twist of fate, flight engineer Ken Parkinson, who was Ian Lansdowne's best friend and also part of the flight crew, also died on Friday the 13th, 1978. Had the curse caused an accident, started a fire, and then claimed the lives of two young RAF officers? Quote, Death comes on swift wings to he who disturbs the Pharaoh's rest. End quote. This was the curse of Tutankhamun's tomb which was read out earlier in this episode. But this was actually made up by the press. There was never any evidence of any curse inside or outside the tomb of the boy king. But just like the placebo effect, had the seed already been planted when the media ran with the idea of a curse? Ancient Egypt was extremely protective of its dead, believing that all of the treasures buried along with their pharaohs would help them get to the next world. To interfere with the dead, to rob their tombs, to halt their journey to the afterlife would have been a crime punishable by death. These beliefs and cultural traditions have been passed down from generation to generation, something that's probably just as potent as any curse. Archaeologists from all over the world continue to dig and search in the land of the pharaohs. Completely convinced that the sands of Egypt still hold many undiscovered tombs and treasures, but should we really be continuing to disturb these ancient rulers' rest? If ever you find yourself in Egypt, in the Valley of the Kings, be very careful what you do, say or touch, because the next person who may be affected by a curse could be you. And if you'd like to hear how the curse may have affected the recording of this episode, then stay listening after the end of the theme where you'll find a blooper reel. More content like this could be available to subscribers on Coffee for just £3 per month. I'd love to get to at least 30 subscribers, which would enable me to focus on things like merchandise, bonus episodes, and more blooper reels, specifically for Coffee subscribers. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to give a few shout-outs. And the first one is to all of you, the listeners. Thank you so much for following, subscribing and listening. None of this would be possible without all of you. The show is available on all major platforms including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts and Radio Public. Wherever possible, leaving a positive five-star review helps the show in many ways. Listener figures are rapidly rising, and that's all down to you. So a huge thanks to all of you. Another shout-out goes to the show's sponsor, CDS Print and Design, who have been kind enough to come back for a second season. Huge thanks again to both Colin and Debbie. Next up is another request to all you listeners out there. Have you seen a ghost? Witnessed poltergeist activity? had a strange, unexplained paranormal experience? 
Have you ever stayed in a haunted location or experienced something frightening on a ghost tour? Even better, do you live or work in a haunted house or building? Have you encountered or seen a UFO? Heard a story about an unsolved disappearance or mystery? Or have you been lucky enough to witness a strange, unknown creature? If you have, then your story could feature on our Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type your story up and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. It's easy to do, and if you like, you can remain anonymous. Huge thanks in advance to you all. Besides writing, recording, mixing and mastering this podcast, I also run a mixing and mastering studio called Pink Flamingo Music Productions. If you have a podcast or piece of music that you'd like mixing, mastering or both, or if you'd like a piece of finished music written for a project that you're working on, then please email the studio with details of your inquiry to pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. It's nowhere near as expensive as you'd think. This podcast was recorded at Pink Flamingo Music Production Studio in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. For a full list of research sources that helped immensely with the content of this episode, please refer to the show's notes. Thank you all so much again for listening, and we'll be back very soon with another episode. Until then, stay safe and take care. Bethel's father, Lord Westbury, was a broken man and was convinced that King Tutankhamun's Turk, Terse, he's now got a Terse as well, you know. He's got a curse, he's also got a Terse, okay? I'm from New York. I drink coffee. Oh, I completely forgot where I was now. It's just, it's really going in the wrong direction. Amber, no. No. No, 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 no. Oh, well, Mrs. No. No, his name wasn't Aaron Ember. It was Ember out. No, it was the other way round. Ember's wife rescued their son while he tried to save a manuscript while It's Ken Bruce on BBC Radio 2 and here's a boatload of cock-ups all the way from Egypt. 
coming next, Popmaster. Whilst hosting a dinner party at his house in Baltimore, a fire broke out and quickly spread. Ember's wife rescued their son while he trade, 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 he traded to save some sort of manuscript. <laughs> Come on. During one scene, Professor Frayling was standing over the sarcophagus and speaking about the curse when suddenly and inexplicably, suddenly and inexplicably, all the lights went out. You know, they just went poof, gone. You know, no explanation for it. There was nothing. I just, oh, you know, I just rambled on like that. You know what I mean? I just, I couldn't, I couldn't remember what was going on about anymore. But yeah, Sharon. Whilst filming the BBC series The Face of Tutankhamun in 1992, Professor Christopher Frayling experienced a number of strange events. During one scene, Professor Frayling, 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 his name isn't even Frayling. Is it Fraying? Is it Frayling? Who knows? I don't know. I, I just don't know. I'm going to have to look this one up. Uh, I'll be back. Good day. Another production that ran into problems whilst filming in and around the tomb was the movie The Curse of the King of... King of the I've never heard of that pharaoh, actually. Uh, King of the Unless his name is so unpronounceable that, that's, uh, that that was the description of the cartouche of the tomb. <laughs> Start again. Another production that ran into problems whilst filming in and around the tomb was the movie The Curse of Ting... 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 His name has now changed to Ting. My God! Have you seen such a wondrous tomb of King Ting? <laughs> no. No, not at all. This sent the car speeding over a cliff edge and landing with such force that the impact not only destroyed the car, but also Brad Bradley. Bradley, hey, you know I'm Brad. You know he's uh, he's introduced as Brad. He's a great director. You know he's a great actor. You know I I, I miss him a lot. I, you know I try I try to try to keep in touch with him, but he doesn't. Uh, you know he doesn't want to kind of take case. You know keep in touch. Uh, his name's Brad. 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 This sent the car speeding over a cliff edge and landing with such force that the impact not only destroyed the car, but also badly broke Ian McShane's leg, as well as him suffering other injuries. This caused production to be brought to a halt by the role while the role of the rule of Hauka. Ah, you know, I'm doing Ronnie now. <laughs> you know, take two thousand. It seemed that there were. N it seemed that there wasn't. There was just nothing. It was just bleak. Bleak landscape, nothing there at all, nothing. No, just gone, nothing. It seemed that there was no limitations to how and where the curse could strike next. In 1972, the treasures of King anymore. This priceless cargo was being loaned to the British Museum for an exclusive exca exca excavation. Excavation or ex expedition. It was one of the two. Well, you know, they were going to show it or bury it. But, you know, probably. This priceless cargo was being loaned to the British Museum for an exclusive exhibition. <laughs> exhibition. Uh, you know, what I'm doing here is I'm, I'm working out how to invent new words. That's what I'm doing. 
This priceless cargo was being loaned to the British Museum for an exclusive exhibition. Exc I've done it again. You see, I cannot say this word, my God. 